Let's get right into our word this morning. Uh, as I said, today we kick off a new series entitled Hot Topics for Hot Times. And, and I want to do a disclaimer. I did it in the early service. I'll do it now. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some hot button issues that are very relevant uh, and germane to our culture right now. And, and, and I want to tell you that this, this series of messages is not coming from a place of anger. Uh, it's not coming from uh, hatred. Uh, you know, I don't want it to be misconstrued. Um, it's coming from a place of concern. We live in a time when it seems like, in fact, Paul writing to Timothy uh, says that people in the last days will not endure sound doctrine. And, and so we have, every, everybody has an opinion. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to wade through a lot of the rhetoric concerning some of these hot button issues, and I want to filter it through the lens of God's Word. Because here's the thing, our children, and, uh, and most of us here are adults, and we probably have pretty good reasoning capabilities. But our children and our youth are still developing those reasoning capabilities and they're being inundated with messages that run contrary to scripture at every turn i mean the kingdom of the mouse has now set itself up against the kingdom of god i mean that's just where we are and if we are not speaking the truth and i'm just saying i'm doing a sermon uh, series over the next couple of weeks but if you're not dealing with this at home you need to be uh, I, I would tell you that Dr. James Dobson has some wonderful material on Focus on the Family that can help you with some of these hot-button issues uh, to be able to sit down with your children. If you are waiting for the youth pastor, the children's pastor to do it, they don't have the time to, to help uh, combat the indoctrination that we see in our society. So, uh, so, again, this series is really focused on getting God's Word uh, the lens of God's Word weighing in on what's going on. So today, we're going to be talking about, we'll kick it off, uh, biblical authority. Biblical authority. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, very familiar probably to most people. Paul, again, writing to his son in the Lord Timothy. He says this, all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Now, your version might say God breathed. That's, a, that's the same thing, Okay. All Scripture is God-breathed, or given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. May the Lord add His blessing to His Word this morning. Now again, as we focus on this series, we're going to, again, take some of these hot-button issues that we're facing as a culture, and we're going to view them through the lens of God's Word. Now, here's the thing. Mo- How many of you have an opinion? Some of you have more than one opinion, right? <laughs> now, now here's, here's the reality. No matter what the issue is, okay? Doesn't matter what the issue is, there, there are strong opinions on all sides. Can we agree with that? Yes. There are strong opinions on all sides. Now, one group says one thing. Another group says something different. And here's the, here's the problem. Left in the wake of that confusion are people who are conflicted and confused. I mean, you think about, uh, and, and again, I'm, I, I don't mean this other than the way I'm saying it. So uh, how, what I always say, re, don't read between the line because there's nothing there. It's, it's kind of like when the COVID hit back almost two years ago or over two years ago. You had one MD that would to, told you this. You had another MD that told you this. You had another MD that told you this. You had another MD that told you this. 
And what happened was you had so many people hearing so many different things that they were conflicted and confused. And I think a lot of the angst that you see in our society today is because we have people that are, that are spouting opinions about all kinds of things and people are confused. Again, left in the wake. And if our children have, don't have the, the reasoning capabilities that you and I do, then think about how confused they are. See, the bottom line is this. While everyone, else, while everyone has his or her truth regarding hot-button issues, okay, everybody has their truth about it. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things you hear people say today, well, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. Anybody ever heard something like that? That's your truth, but it's not my truth. While everybody has his or her truth regarding hot-button issues, the only truth that matters is God's truth. Again, I, I'm unashamedly a Bible man. I believe in God's Word. I believe it's relevant for today. Uh, I, I, I believe that one of the great disservices to the kingdom is liberal theologians today that want to water down teachings of Scripture. That's a different message. But, but, but listen, I, I want to help wade through all of the rhetoric that we see in our world today with these current issues. And I want to filter it through the lens of God and see what thus, what thus saith the Lord regarding these issues. Now that brings us to an important subject this morning to begin with, and that is the authority of the Bible. The authority of the Bible. You know, I've been asked more than once, Pastor, how can someone who claims to be a Christian have such liberal, uh, liberal way of thinking? And the answer is this, they do not see the Bible as having the ultimate authority in their lives. You see, that's kind of where it boils down to, is that, is that if the Bible isn't my isn't my ultimate authority, then it doesn't matter what I believe. I, in fact, I used to teach our membership class here, and, and one of the things with the, uh, that I would teach with the Assemblies of God, and, and most evangelical churches, they hold a high regard for the Bible. In fact, in our doctrine, the very first thing we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, uh, in Second Timothy, I just read it, all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, here's the important part. If I don't believe that, then it doesn't matter what I believe beyond that. If I don't believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, then it really doesn't matter what my views are on other hot-button issues. I've got to start with the authority of the Bible. So this is where we begin in this introductory message. Now, next week, I'll be preaching about a very hot topic that's current right now in our world, uh, in our society in particular in America, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I'll be talking about abortion. What does the Bible say uh, about abortion? Again, not coming from anger. I just want to shed light on it. Uh, so we start with the, with the authority of the Bible. If your view that the Bible, this book here, is merely a good book of symbolic stories meant to inspire, then you can hold liberal ideologies and never feel convicted about, about it. It, it. Again, if this book here is nothing more than a collection of nice stories that inspire us to, one, uh, to a set of behavior or maybe inspire us to a way of living, then I can hold all kinds of beliefs and never really feel convicted about it. And that's where we are in our culture today. I, I've lived long enough now, and I never thought that I would live long enough to see major denominations that were, that were, you know, that were the bulwark of, of uh, biblical inerrancy and, and, and scripture authority splitting over the Bible. I mean, I, I never thought I would see that, and yet I'm seeing it in our day. You know, central to our faith is the belief that this is God's Word. It is central to our faith. We may, listen, we may struggle with, listen, there are things I read in there I don't understand. 
And I, I've been in ministry over 30 years. There's some things I don't understand. There, listen, I have, a, I have a list. Not this one, but I have a list. And it's questions. <laughs> and when I get to heaven, I want to ask. Anybody, anybody have questions like that? I mean, because there's some things I read in the Bible I just don't get. I don't understand. But that's okay. Listen, again, we may struggle at times with what the Bible teaches, but it is paramount to our faith. I said it when I was preaching through the Apostles' Creed. I said, listen, if you identify yourself as a Christian, that means that you subscribe to Christian doctrine. If you don't, there are some things you have to believe to be a Christian. If you don't believe them, you can't call yourself a Christian. I mean, I mean, you can. I mean, it would be really just a social construct, not, not really genuine. It'd just be a, a, a category, categorization in sociology. But, but if you're going to be a Christian, then you subscribe to Christian doctrine. Now, think about this. The Bible teaches us that God created mankind in His image, male and female, Genesis 1:27. He said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So He created what? Male and female. Today's culture would have us believe that gender is non-binary and fluid and that we get to decide whether or not I want to be a man or a woman. The Bible teaches us that God instituted marriage as a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in which they might experience perfect unity with God and with each other. And from that union, they have children that they are to love, to nurture, and to teach. Okay? Society, today's culture, would have us believe that marriage joins together any two or more individuals, regardless of their gender, for whatever purpose they have in mind. The Bible teaches us that human life is sacred. It's a gift of God, and that it should be protected and preserved at all costs. Today's culture would have us believe that life is in our own hands, and that we're free to choose to take it when we want to, from abortion to euthanizing the elderly who are deemed a drain on society. The Bible teaches us that even though we're created in the image of God, we are a rebellious people and we have a rebellious nature. And given a choice, we would rather do our own thing than live in obedience to God. Today's culture would have us to believe that every one of us has the potentiality for good, that there's good inside each of us and it is waiting for the perfect educational moment or the perfect societal moment for us to do good, but we get to decide whether we want to be good or bad. The Bible says that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, that we have a sin nature. Paul said we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but when we're born again, we're quickened, we're made alive. Okay, the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death, alienation from God and from others. Today's culture would have us believe that there is no such thing as sin, only poor choices, which may lead to bad consequences. But hey, that's just part of life. It's just part of being human. I mean, listen, we could go on. We could go on and on and on today and talk about the dichotomy that we have in our current world, uh, but you get the point. The, Bible's te the teaching of the Bible, the teachings of the Bible stand diametrically opposed to what we have in our culture today. Amen. Amen. The question is this, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? So, so let's unpack a little bit for, real briefly this morning for what, what Paul said. Again, Paul writing in Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed, or all scripture is given 
by the inspiration of God. Now, when you apply that to the Bible, it literally means that God breathed out the very words of the Bible that the human authors wrote down. It means, number one, it means that the inspiration of Scripture extends to every part of the Bible. Number two, it means that the inspiration ex extends to every word of the Bible. It number three, it means that the inspiration guarantees the absolute truthfulness of the Bible. Again, what we believe, we believe the Bible is infallible. What does that mean? The word infallible means teaching only the truth. And we believe it is inerrant. And that means incapable of teaching error. So in a nutshell, that's exactly what we believe about the Bible. Now, now here's, here's the rub. Why do we believe that? Why do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God and it is absolutely truthful? There would be people say, well, I mean, that's, what you, that's your truth, right? <laughs> that's what you believe. So how can you and I be sure that the Bible stands above every other book written? How can you and I have confidence that when we read the Bible in our daily devotions, and by the way, if you don't have a daily devotion, get one. It's important. How can we know that when we start reading and studying Scripture that we are reading God's Word? Well, there are four tests that we apply to Scripture to find out the veracity of this statement, okay? So the first one is this. Let's look at its claims. What does the Bible claim about itself? Well, the Bible clearly says it is God's Word. Clearly says. Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Peter, in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says it like this. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, again, notice what it said. They spoke from God as the Holy Spirit carried them along. Now, in the Greek, the Greek word for carried along pictures a, a ship being moved through the waters by the power of the wind. So what Peter's saying is that these men, these men of God, were, were carried along by the Holy Spirit as God spoke His Word to them. So, so the Holy Spirit is the real power behind the writing of the Bible. He's the divine author. People like David and, and, and Daniel and John and Jeremiah and Isaiah, they were the human authors. And that's why the Bible repeatedly uses phrases like, the Lord says, or the word of the Lord came. Jeremiah 1.9 puts it very plainly, says, then the, word, then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and he said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. Amen. Again, that is, this is a, a claim to direct divine inspiration of God. Paul writing in Galatians chapter 1 Remember what he told the Galatians, the church of Galatia? He said, hey, my message did not come from man, but it was a direct revelation from God. And in fact, over 3,800 times, the Bible uses the phrase, thus saith the Lord. You and I have confidence today that the Bible is God's word because it was spoken by God to these men who wrote it down. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit was working in these writers to ensure the accuracy of everything they wrote down. I like what Paul Little said. Paul Little uh, writes this, and I quote, he said, it's important to realize, too, that the writers of the Scripture were not merely writing machines. God did not punch them like keys on a typewriter to produce His message. He did not dictate the words as the biblical view of inspiration has so often been unfairly caricatured. It is quite clear that each writer has his style of his own. 
Now, again, if you've ever been a student of the Bible, you understand that statement because you read something and then you read somebody else and they write totally different. The Gospels, we call them the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels. They write about the same story, but they have different ways of writing. Jeremiah doesn't write like Isaiah. Okay? John doesn't write like Paul. You see, God worked through the personalities, but they wrote what he wanted them to write. Whatever, we, whatever else we say about the Bible, the Bible claims to be the very Word of God. It never pretends to be just another book. Okay, so what if the Bible claims to be the Word of God? That doesn't make it so. Well, true, so we have to move on. So we start out with what does the Bible claim about itself? It claims to be God's Word. Now, so, so, so even though it says, I could claim to be Superman but I'm not going to run faster than a speeding bullet. In fact, if you see me running, you better run because there's something after me. I don't have to be fast. I just have to be faster than you. (laughs) Hey, I got it figured out. So, So just because it claims something doesn't make it so. So let's move on to the second test. Let's look at its credibility. Its credibility. This is a big deal because how many of us, how many of us, how How many of us have ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, you know, the man, the Bible's written by a bunch of men. Everybody ever heard that? The Bible's written by a bunch of men, and what we have today is not the original copies of what they wrote. You you ever heard that? Listen, I think we all understand right now that the Bible was written between 2,000 and 3,500 years ago, and that what we have today is only fragments of the original manuscripts of the Bible. That's all we have. How do we know that we're reading an accurate transmission of what the human authors wrote down? Well, I'm glad you ask, because I've been asked many times, well, why do you believe the Bible's inspired? Why do you believe that it was, it's God's Word? I mean, didn't men write it down? And, and, and they, here's, here's my point, is if you understand how the Jews transmitted these copies down through history, it is, it is indisputable. I mean, these, the Jews insisted on absolute accuracy in the transmission of scripture so so be thankful you're not a scribe because here's what they would do when when they copied a manuscript obviously it was by hand okay they didn't scan it into the the xerox or anything like that they they copied it by hand here's what they did they counted the total number of letters in a particular book and then they figured out what the middle letter was and when they finished making the copy that they were that they had been working on they count the letters And if the middle letter doesn't match up with the one that they copied from, they scrap the entire manuscript and they start over. I mean, that's how how they did it. They insisted on absolute certainty that the Bible was accurate in its transmission. Uh, Again, if if there was any error, the whole book was considered, I can't even talk today, to to be incorrect, and they destroyed it. Uh, Not only that, they counted individual letters. For instance, they knew that the Hebrew letter Aleph occurred 42,377 times in the Old Testament. And they counted it. That's why all the existing manuscripts of the Old Testament are virtually identical. Because they passed it on. They, they were meticulous about passing on the, uh, the copies of the transmission of the original. You know what? We find the same thing with the New Testament. The New Testament has the same, that same transmission. I mean, scholars tell us right now that we have over 5,200 complete manuscripts 
of the New Testament and over 8,000 partial manuscripts. And the oldest manuscripts that we have regarding the New Testament date back to less than one century after the original writings. So think about this. We have 5,200 manuscripts of the New Testament and, and only five of anything that Aristotle wrote. I want you to think about that. Put it in perspective. We have no debate over Aristotle. We, we, people quote him today. He's in movies, little tidbits that people have. That there's no disputing that Aristotle, but we only have five copies of anything he ever wrote. We have 5,200 manuscripts of the New Testament. The earliest copy of Caesar's Gaelic Wars dates 1,000 years after it was written. The first complete copy of Homer's Odyssey is dated 2,200 years after it was written. What I'm saying is that we have copies, 5,200 copies of manuscripts of the New Testament that are within 100 years of the original writing. I don't know about you, but that's pretty confident to me. The Bible is by far the best attested ancient book in the world. There are more copies, earlier copies, and more accurately recorded copies than any other book in ancient history. And I'm telling you, don't, don't get your religion or your, your, your spiritual forma- formative information from, from History Channel, the Learning Channel, Discovery Channel. Don't, don't turn into those things for theological information. Amen. They are so skewed, it's not even funny. Yeah, right. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you what we have. Uh, another thing to consider is the, the historical accuracy of the Bible. Again, you you want to talk about the accuracy of the Bible. For years, critics claimed that there was no one named Pontius Pilate. Now, everybody knows who Pontius Pilate is. He's the one that that washed his hands. And and, and no one believed. They thought he was made up. He was a metaphorical uh, creation of uh, of the early Christians. Didn't believe he existed. But archaeologists in Caesar found a, in in in, in Caesarea Philippi, found a tablet with his name on it. The Bible also mentions a tribe of people called the Hittites. Now, you remember the Old Testament? You know, they had the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and all the otherites that were out there. They didn't believe the Hittites were, again, a, a tribe of people. They, in fact, they demanded that, they, that, you know, that hey, this is just nuts. There, there was no such tribe. But scholars today know that the Hittite empire existed throughout the land that what you and I call today Turkey. They know that they were there. They claim there was, a never, there, was, there was never a ruler by the name of Belshazzar. They denied there was a king by the name of Sargon. Both claims have been proven wrong. I mean, even some radical scholars said there was no, guy, there was no such person of, like, named David. That David was just a story to inspire the underdog. They didn't believe. When I was in Israel the first time years ago with an archaeologist, he talked about, he talked about this that there were people that didn't believe that David was, was a real person. But they, through archaeology, they started uncovering. See, they went to a place called Tel Dan. And Tel Dan archaeologists discover, discovered a, uh, an inscription that mentions the house of David, which is a reference to the kingdom of David. In fact, that same archaeological dig found not only the inscriptions about King David, they found the bust of King David's head from the time of his reign. They found his tomb. They found his palace. You know, when you talk about him seeing Bathsheba, they've uncovered where he lived and, and, and make a pretty educated guess about where she was in that terraced village there outside of Jerusalem. 
Again, I'm not here to say that archaeology proves the Bible. I'm just simply saying that every time they discover something new, the Bible is confirmed over and over and over again. Dr. Nelson Gluck, who is the, one of the greatest archaeologists of the last century, said it like this, and I quote, he said, No archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have, made, have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements of the Bible, end quote. So what I'm saying this morning is when you pick up this book here, when I teach out of it, preach out of it, I'm confident that this is God's Word. And if I'm confident it's God's Word, then I need to, I need to heed what He says. Listen again, with all the opinions that are out there, particularly in these hot-button issues, it's easy to get lost in the opinions of Fox and CNN and MSNBC and ABC, CBS and and, and all these other alphabet things out there. I'm telling you, if you want to find the truth, get in His Word. We talked about its, uh, its claims, its credibility. Now let's talk about its consistency. Consistency, it speaks of internal consistency and its unity. You ever thought about this? One-fourth of the Bible, when it was written, was prophecy. When it was written, one-fourth of, of, of the Bible, at least one-fourth, was prophecy. So, so it made specific prophecies. It, it predicted things uh, referencing people, places, kingdoms, wars, and nations. But the greatest of all of the prophecies was how many of those prophecies centered on one individual, Jesus Christ. You talk about the Old Testament, there, there are over 333 very specific prophecies about Christ, but they're, they're, the Old Testament contains actually over 500 predictions about Jesus Christ, including the place of His birth, the manner of His birth, the family into which He would be born, the scope of His ministry, the nature of His death, the miracle of His resurrection. All of these prophecies were written down at least 400 years, sometimes up to 1,500 years before He was ever born. And yet each of them was fulfilled to the letter. That's pretty good odds, if you ask me. It's kind of funny that in contemporary society, we talk about, you got people who want to talk about Nostradamus and all these amazing things that he said or supposedly said. And, and like, well, most of the things in the Old Testament, he would, have been, he would have been stoned. If he was prophesying in the Old Testament and only most of it, what he said came to pass, he'd be stoned. Because the, the Bible demanded absolute accuracy. If you're going to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, you better, you better know that you heard, thus saith the Lord, or don't spout your mouth off. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, again, the unity of the Bible. Think about this. The Bible consists of 66 books, okay, written by 40 different people over the span of 1,600 years on three different continents. And yet, the unity of theme from Genesis to Revelation is without question. If I were to start something today and I wrote it down and I passed it and circulated all around the balcony, everywhere, it would not be inaccurate in just this day, what I communicated, what I wrote down and passed around would not even be accurate when it got back to me. So to think about a book, 66 different books written on different continents by 40 different individuals over 1,600 years, and yet they all contain unity regarding the theme. Now, there are people today that want to say, well, the Bible contains errors. It has absolutely no error. The only difference that you have in some of the transmissions is you may have punctuation different. They're, the content is fully confident that what you and I have is accurate. There might be a punctuation off here or a word use here. Listen, today there's a translation 
of just about every genre you can even think of. But I'm telling you, when you get into the authorized scriptures, what you and I have is an amazing book that God breathed out that we can rest confidently in. Again, how do you get that kind of uniformity? You do not, unless it's divinely inspired. How do we explain the unity of the Bible? Well, think about this. The Old Testament, it points to the coming of Christ. The Gospels, the appearance of Christ. Acts, the preaching of Christ. The Epistles, the body of Christ. And Revelation, the return of Christ. Jesus Christ is the central theme of the Bible. In Genesis 3.15, the very first messianic promise ever given said, I'm going to put enmity between you and, your, and the woman's seed, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. It was a predictive prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus went about doing miracles, John the Baptist was languishing in prison. He came to him and said, sent his disciples, said, hey, go, tell, go ask if he's the one. He says, you go back and tell him. Go tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. Because see, there was stuff in the, in the Bible that told what the Messiah would be doing. Amen. Isaiah 61. And he said, you go back and you tell them that the dumb talk and the blind see and the, the deaf hear and the lame are made to walk again. You go tell John because I meet all the requirements. Listen, the unity amid all of the diversity is an amazing thing when you think about it. Listen, I've always, I got one more thing. I've always said that the Bible will stand up to honest scrutiny if you'll, if you'll read it with an open heart. The last one is this, it's certainty. Having said all that I said, listen, I, we could be here for a whole month talking about the evidence of why you and I know that we have an accurate transmission of God's Word. But I want to stop with this one right here. Having said everything I've already said, how can we be sure that this Bible is God's Word? And here's what I want to tell you. The evidence of changed lives. The evidence of changed lives. I was stationed in Germany in 1987 when I went over, my wife and I went to Germany. We were there in 1989 when the Berlin Wall, when Ronald Reagan made his famous, Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We were there. We, we were there when the wall came down. I had a friend of mine, that, still a friend of mine today. He's still living. He was a part of the church of God he uh, the wall started coming down but you understand it takes time just because you see a a, a new spot on TV says the wall coming down you saw the Berlin wall the the, the concrete uh, columns tumbling there, there was a lot of things that had to go on to make that transition and so my, my, my buddy they were wanting to smuggle Bibles into Romania so he loaded up the back of his Mercedes uh, car, the trunk with Bibles, and he went to the border. And when he got there, they stopped him, and they did a search of his car. And of course, they popped the trunk, and they went through, rifled through his stuff, and they found the Bibles. And they said, "You can't bring this book in here." And he said, "Well, it's just Bibles. I'm a pastor, and I just I want to get these Bibles to some of our colleagues over here, and they're people that are hungry for Bibles." And they said, "You can't bring that book here." And he said, he said, why not? And he said, well, we're afraid of it. They're like, why are you afraid of the Bible? He said, because when people read that book, they change. Not for the, be not for the worst. They, be they become better people. 
Listen, this book here is not an exhaustive concordance of what you can and cannot do. You know what this book is designed to do? This book is designed to be a revelation of God so that you can know the heart of Father God. It doesn't give us a list of everything we can and cannot do. It reveals the heart of God. You learn God. You know when you get into a a situation that the Bible may not speak to. I saw a sign the other day of somebody talking about uh, homosexuality. Said everything, and they had a poster. Said everything Jesus said about homosexuality, and they flipped it over and had nothing. And said, nobody, we shouldn't be saying anything about it either. And I thought, that's really kind of odd. And I, I don't want to jump on that right now, but, but, but again, there are people that hold up signs like that for just about everything under the sun. What did Jesus say? The Bible's not designed to, the Bible is designed to reveal the heart of God so that you know. How many, so, so I've been married, uh, September will be, She's not here this morning. Uh, 36 years? I think 36 years. Whew. Feels longer than that. I don't know. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> so, so, so here's the thing. I, the longer you're with your husband, your wife, you learn them, right? How many, how many know what I'm talking about? You start learning their little nuances, you start learning their likes and their dislikes. For instance, my wife, of course, most of you know she's wheelchair-bound, and, and so she, I, I usually go home from work, and I, I cook dinner, and I get her... One thing my wife... My wife loves sweets. I mean, she just... She loves... I do too, but I'm not, they're not good for me. In my uniform I wore last week at the celebration, it wasn't my uniform. My uniform shrunk after 30 years. <laughs> so So... So here's what I do. I love to do this because it's, it's just the coolest thing. I, I know my wife. I know what she likes to eat. Uh, I know that she likes the temperature a little warmer than I do. So I buy blankets. So, so every, just about every evening, I will, uh, after I get her dinner, get her situated, she likes to sit in her room in her, I call it her Cadillac wheelchair that she has, kick back, watching Right now, Christmas. Can you believe that? Christmas music or shows on Hallmark already. I sat in there the other day and I heard a Christmas tune. I'm like, what in the world? But I like to go to the I like to go into the refrigerator and pull out her little serving of whatever sweets I have. I you know, I buy these individual things. It might be cake, it might be banana pudding or something like that. And I'll open it up and I'll right before she I get her medicine for her and I'll take it in there. And she likes to pretend she's not paying attention. So she's sitting in her chair watching this movie, but out of the corner of her eye, she sees me coming with her sweets, and she gets the biggest grin on her face. She's just happy as a lark, and I thought, that's, that, that's a pretty easy way to keep your, keep your woman happy right there. Just give her something sweet. My, my point being is this. The more we spend time with him, the more we know him. And the more I know him, I don't have to worry about all the competing voices that we have in our world today. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, ask any missionary. This Bible right here, history tells us that wherever the Bible goes, lives are changed. I remember as a boy growing up in church, I remember missionaries that would come from Africa and they talked about the dark continent of Africa and how how the unreached people groups of Africa. I'm telling you today that because men and women took this book 
over to Africa, the continent that was known as a dark continent has now more light than the United States of America that was founded on this book. They are sending out missionaries right now as you and I speak around the world. Why? Because somebody took the Bible and began to expound on it, began to teach and to preach God's Word. And it was through the foolishness of preaching that people began to get saved and the entire nation and continent of Africa changed because of God's Word. That's how I know that it's real. It still takes bad men and makes them good and bad women and makes them good. The evidence is right there for anyone to see if they're willing to look at it. Whole cultures are transformed. I think about one of our missionaries that we support right now in Papua New Guinea, Beverly Mosley. Beverly Mosley has been a missionary there for many, many years. And what they're doing there is they are translating the Bible into, there are still people groups on planet earth that have no Bible. They have no language that is written down. And so what they're doing, she's a linguist, and they have, to, they have to actually build an alphabet for the language and then start translating the Bible and teach the people to read so that they, when they're all done, they can have a Bible to read. There are people like that all over the world because they know when the Bible gets into the hands. I don't want to talk too much because we're recorded and online, but I remember years ago, people were creative in how they got the Bibles into places that were illegal to go. It was ingenious. And God was using that. How do you think, and I'm closing, guys, come on back as I wrap this up. How do you think that the largest church group in the world is in communist China? Where it is illegal to be a Christian. And yet there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches. They say that every 24 hours there are 1,500 churches that are being born, that are being launched in, in China where it is illegal. Why are they doing that? Because they got the word of God and they become hungry for it. Some of them only have one page. They take, a, they take a Bible and they tear pages out and they secretly pass the pages around. Oh, you read John 3? Let me have John 4. And they're just passing it around. And that's how they're doing it. And if they get caught, they're willing to die. You can go back. And I, I, I don't have time today. We've got to do our baptism. But I could talk about the, the Pyongyang revival that started because a, a missionary dared to go into Laos and, and Vietnam and Cambodia area with the Bible and they wouldn't let him on the shores, and they shot and killed him, and one of the soldiers picks up the Bible and takes it to his house and, and wallpapers his house with the Bible. And while he's laying there, starts reading the Bible, that he's wallpapered his house. A revival starts because one man took a book that's not like any other book. And it changed the culture and brought a revival. Listen, we have it backwards in our country today. We took the Bible out of school years ago in the 60s. And now we're encouraging people to put them in prisons today. Something's wrong with that picture. Something's wrong with that. I stand before you as I close this morning and tell you that I am confident that the authority and the rule of faith that you and I have is God's Word, and that there will, there will be people that will debate it, there will be people that will, that will dismiss it outright, but I'm telling you, you can build your life on it, you can build your family on it, you can build your future on it, and I promise you, heaven and earth will pass, but not one word from God will falter. The psalmist said, forever, O Lord, your word is established in heaven. It's established, and it's satisfied. As we Move to our bat. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If you're here to be baptized, 
Again, guys, if you'll go over here to my right, your left. Ladies, if you'll go over here to my left, your right. We want to move into the baptism right now. I want to tell you this morning that I have complete confidence that this book is worth your time. It's worth reading. It's worth studying. It's worth building your life upon this book. I staked my life on it over 30 years ago. Today, I don't doubt it at all. Again, I may wrestle with some of the, some of the things that it says, and I may struggle sometimes with some of the concepts of the Bible, but I have absolute confidence in the author of the Bible that God gave his word to us. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto our feet, it is a light unto our path. So many today living in darkness, and we have the illumination right here. Say, Pastor, you know, I've tried to convince people that God's Word is real. Listen, here, here's what you do. When, when you have a loved one or a, a friend that's not a believer, you'll never convince them by arguing with them. What you do is you pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they could know truth. Unless God, unless God, unless God opens their eyes to His truth, they'll never believe it. So the prayer is, Lord, open their eyes to see your truth and then continue to shine. I want us to pray this morning. And as I sing here in a moment, if you need prayer for anything today, I want you to, I want you to join me down front here today. But I want to ask you, who's the authority in your life? Who's the authority of your life? Listen, everything else I'm going to say from here on out in this series is based on the lens of the authority of God's Word. I, I, I don't want to get caught up in the rhetoric of, 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 of what you see debated on, on Facebook or social media or, or the news. I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I want to wade through all of that nonsense and speak God's Word to these relevant issues because I believe the Bible is my authority. It's my authority. Who's your authority? Who's your authority? So as we sing this morning, guys, if you need prayer this morning, you need to say, Lord, I, uh, Pastor, I'm, I'm giving, I want God to be my authority. I want His Word to be my authority. I want a hunger. If you want to b- develop a hunger and a thirst for God, just come say, Lord, fill me up. Go ahead and sing. Creation knows the voice. As they sing, won't you come? Spoken to the void. The breath that brought the dust to life And sang the stars to form The darkness fears the voice That drove it back before Though the night is long, I know you lie. We'll drive it back once more. One word from you. Think 
just a moment we're going to have a few that will be baptized and I want to encourage you this morning I want to encourage you to get into the book we eat two three times a day or five or six times a day or the psalmist said I esteemed his word more than my necessary food if the only diet of God's word is what you get on Sundays you're malnourished spiritually. And I want to challenge you to spend time. And, and listen, there's so many good translations out there that people, one of their hesitations is, well, I just don't understand it. Well, there's plenty of books out there, plenty of versions out there that you can get, good, good versions that would help you. The second part of that is I'm still reading the Bible for, after many years, and I still don't understand it all. Part of the journey is divine illumination that God reveals as I mature and grow, He reveals things to me. And it's the same thing with you. One day you'll read one passage and you'll come back a month later or a year later and you'll understand. It evolves. It evolves not in inspiration, but it evolves in our knowledge as we spend time with Him. I want to challenge you to do that. As I'm going to sit down here in just a minute. But over the next few weeks, We'll be tackling some of these hot button issues. And again, I want to build. Listen, my I've been here. Well, today actually uh, is 29 years ago. We walked into this building for the first time. It just dawned on me. 29 years ago. Long time. <laughs> I said that to say this. My my goal is I want to build a foundation for generations. Our little tagline is building family legacies, one family at a time. I believe in the family. You know, I've just preached on the family. I believe in the family. I believe it's a uh, it's divine initiative of God. But you can't have a strong family without this right here. This morning, are they ready? Oh no. <laughs> I want to pray one more time, and then I'll ask you to be seated. And and if you need to leave, I understand. But we're gonna. I think we have five people that will be baptized today, and we want to honor them. What a great, what a great opportunity. I love seeing people baptized. Had about nine just a couple months ago, and I just want to bless you. Father, today I love you so much, and I do thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into your truth, all truth. Lord, I pray that we would apply ourselves to your word. I pray, Father, today that we would anchor ourselves in that which is eternal. Lord, with all of the debate and hair splitting over your word, Lord, may we settle it once and for all that your word is divine, it is inspired, it is good for all life. Help us to build our life and our future upon that word. Father, I pray that you'll give us a wonderful day and help us to be light that shines wherever we go in this dark world and help us to put our confidence not in the institutions of man, but Lord, let us build our confidence in who you are. I love and I bless each one now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning.
Um, we'll start on this side, if I could get the list. All right, we have Tara Maples. Tara, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And do you commit to following him from this day forward? Then because of your public declaration, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Logan, have you asked Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And do you commit to serving him from this day forward? Then because of your declaration of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Kara Moore. Kara, have you asked Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior? And do you commit to serving him from this day forward? Then because of your personal declaration of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Matt, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. And do you commit to serving him from this day forward? I do. Then because of your public declaration of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? And do you commit to serving him from this day forward? Then by your personal declaration of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, I think that concludes our baptism service. Thank you so much. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Come on, stand with me. Stand with me this morning. One more time, let's, let's give the Lord an ovation of praise this morning.
be an influence on somebody. I have to make a comment. Jeanette asked me a couple weeks ago. She said, hey, I've got two people that won't be baptized unless I get rebaptized." I said, hey, what a great servant's heart right there to go ahead and do that. Be an influence on somebody. Amen. I love you with all of my heart. I pray that this week is one that will be for the record books, not temperature-wise, but in God's favor over your life. Father, thank you for a wonderful day. Lord, we walk out invigorated, excited. Let us be beacons of light that shine hope wherever we go. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. amen. God bless you, love you. Thank you for being with us online. I'll see you next time. God bless you and I love you. Dark.